The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiter's Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, (laughs) Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge originally aired on December 9th, 2006. The title was Podcast. Is there really a war for talent? And this was the original description. Uh, Is there really a war for talent? If so, what should your company be doing now and later to prepare for shortages in your workforce? Jim Stroud and Karen Matten discussed this with Paige Mazzoni of Workforce Logic and Mark Nelson of Nelson Family of Companies. Tune in to hear what was said way back on December 9th, 2006, after this word from our sponsor. Employer brand professionals know that doing great work involves doing big, high-level strategic thinking and getting your hands dirty. That sounds like the kind of work you want to do. Come listen to the Talent Cast. It's the world's most highly caffeinated employer brand podcast. Do you love four-letter words? Who doesn't? And then you mix recruiting news and insights in with those four-letter words. I'm Cheese. And I'm Chad. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. We We out. is good for December 2006 only. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud. Welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. 
The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry, and it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in The Recruiter's Lounge. Hello and welcome once again to this edition of The Recruiter's Lounge. I'm your host, Jim Stroud, and this show is big, really big. But before we get into that, let's just have a quick word uh, from our sponsor. This podcast is being brought to you in part by Online Recruitment Magazine. Founded in 2000, Online Recruitment Magazine has grown to become the largest recruiter information portal on the web. With nearly 600,000 unique visitors in 2005, Online Recruitment Magazine is the voice in the recruiting industry. You can find them online at www.onrec.com. That's www.onrec.com. Welcome once again to the Recruiter's Lounge. This is your host, Jim Stroud, welcoming you once again from the blogosphere to my podcast. And the chair with me is Karen Mattenen. How are you, Karen? Hi, everybody. I'm fine, thank you. And today we're going to talk about something that's very interesting and controversial, and I think it's controversial. Uh, I think it sort of represents two things. For one, it represents uh, job security for the recruiter, but it also represents sleepless nights for a lot of companies. And let me sort of preface it this way. Uh, The first of the baby boomers are beginning to retire this year, yes, this year, leaving a talent crunch or workforce void in the U.S. job market. By 2010, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates 10 million jobs will be unfilled. What do you think of that, Karen? Well, um, I kind of look at what the ARP said, stated, and they stated that actually that 85% of baby boomers will not be planning to retire within the next 15 years. So I kind of wonder if that is an accurate assessment. This is true. This is why I say it's controversial, because I've heard different sides of this story, the, the great talent crunch, and I wanted to bring in some experts, people who really know what they're talking about, um, to sort of discuss it with us. So presenting to uh, our listening audience are two people i like to bring to our audience's attention. The first is Paige Mazzoni and Mark Nelson. How are you guys? Thanks. Doing well, thanks. Thank you for your time in Recruiter's Lounge. Um, talking about the um, baby boomers retiring in 2010 and all the sleepless nights a lot of company CEOs are going to have, um, what do you, what's your guys' take on that? Well, first of all, I think the sleepless nights are already occurring. <laughs> Frankly, the, the talent shortage uh, is preceding, I think, the baby boomer retirement issue, but I think it's only going to exacerbate it long term. I mean, here in the United States of America, um, we're seeing talent shortages all over the place, particularly in the more highly skilled areas uh, in technology and accounting and finance. The fact of the matter is is that there's just not enough new people coming into the workforce uh, to fill the required jobs out in the marketplace. Um, one interesting note, uh, in 1975, the United States of America was uh, number one in science and engineering graduates, and last year we were 19th. Wow. The issue is is far greater than just the baby boomers, but the baby boomers are going to accelerate and exacerbate the problem. Hmm. What do you think, Paige? Uh, I think that's true. I also think it's it's the workforce is going to have to change in the makeup a lot. Um, the diversity of who's working and where they're working from and how people are working. I think companies are going to have to become a little more flexible in how they look at their workforce. To I agree. Yeah. What do you think about, um, and Karen and I were talking about this in a previous podcast, about 
uh, this very issue, and, and one thing that came up was uh, how, about how many high school dropouts, and, it, and that trend seems to be alarmingly growing. Um, I'm sure that sort of factors into a lot of sleepless nights for CEOs as well, sort of the future, as far as what the future of their company is going to be like if they don't have even high school graduates to choose from. I think part of the problem with that also is if you look at what's happening with universities or kids are going to universities, a lot of the people in the universities are actually um, coming from international and then going back to their own countries, and then people are spending a lot of time in universities and not getting jobs when they graduate. So um, it's all kind of part of the same problem that, you know, they, they – I think a lot of high school kids are starting to think, why bother going all the way through? If I'm not going to get a job anyway, I might as well just get a skilled labor-type training going. Um, so part of this is probably resting with the education system and relooking at how that's working as well. Two, one piece of data that I think is important to piggyback on what Paige said is, of the science and engineering grads that's, United, that's coming out of the United States of America today, 60% of those are being awarded to foreign nationals. Mm. So to reiterate what she said is we are um, educating the talent in the areas of technology, science, and engineering, and then they're going back to their home countries to, pl to apply. Many of them are going back to their home countries to apply the knowledge. And it's also making it harder and harder for kids coming out of high school in the States to get into good universities. Absolutely. So, so why bother working hard in high school if you're not going to get into a good school anyway? I mean, most of the UCs in California, you have to have higher than a 4.0 now even in the UC system. Wow. So it's, well, it's becoming almost impossible. Wow. Well, I, I, when I hear about the shortage, I almost always hear about it from the technology standpoint of things. Are, are there any pain points in any, any other industries, I mean, besides technology, or that's just? Oh. Account, accounting and finance, definitely. There's a, a high degree of demand in the areas of certified public accountants because of the increased scrutiny of legislation like Sarbanes, Oxley, and for technology companies, things like SAS 70, the need for people with high technical skills in specialized accounting areas has increased dramatically. So I find I, I think the accounting finance area is one where there's weakness. There's also, you know, like agribusiness, there's a, a big problem coming there. There's a lot of people not going into it, and um, there's actually a lot of our economy based on it. Mm. So, you know, wine, I know there, there's an issue with, you know, actually winemakers usually have things like masters in analytical chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an education-poor field, and so there's a shortage of, of skilled labor there as well. Well, I remember once a while ago, uh, Elizabeth Dill had put it out there that America faced a work crisis because there was a diminishing number of people eligible and qualified for the ever-increasing complexity of jobs in our economy. So what you guys may be are saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that we are kind of like doing something wrong towards our kids because I look at the fact that the baby boomers, they only 25% of them even graduated. When you look at these numbers and you see that even today is even less of graduating, so maybe it is possible that we're harming our own system then? I think we are. I mean, I think if you look at what happened with a lot of the baby boomers and how a lot of them made their money, that was kind of the high-tech boom, the boom where if they were smart developers, if they were smart people and, and, and could jump into a new company and drive it and have an entrepreneurial spirit, a lot of them ended up making money without necessarily having a lot of degrees. So their kids are the people growing up 
wondering how important the degree really is. The problem is the world has changed. And, you know, the big boom burst, and it's probably not coming back because there was a lot of fat in it, and it wasn't viable, as everybody learned. So, yeah, I think the kids have kind of been left in this world where there's a generation ahead of them that may not have placed the value on education that the generation now in the 70s placed on it. So there's these kids in their teens and their 20s who are kind of the gap. Well, I have a question about that, too, then. Is it not possible, too, that the companies then are not doing, are doing a disservice to their own employees by not offering education to their employees and then also giving them incentives to be educated? I think of a company like United Technologies, fantastic corporation, and they have stated, the president stated uh, that they are planning to become the most educated company in the United States, in the nation, in the world, actually. They said the universe. And they do, they're very proactive in making sure that their employees become educated so that they can actually hire from within and educate them based upon what their needs are. Are we not missing something there then? Well, kind of, I think there's kind of an interwoven thought process related to everything you're saying. And there's a fundamental disconnect between family, corporate life, the educational system, skill requirements, et cetera, et cetera. And it's something that I think again, is becoming magnified as time progresses. But before I, I, I migrate to that question, I do want to touch on the generational differences which, which Paige was alluding to earlier because I think it's actually very critical as we're evaluating the needs of businesses and the talent requirements because, frankly, what a baby boomer or what a Generation Xer or a traditional or a Y or an echo boomer, what any one of those constituents wants out of the workplace really varies dramatically. And how we accomplish goals from a business perspective, both talent and otherwise, it's going to be critical to understand those different objectives, whether they're high school graduates or college graduates or advanced degree graduates or technology folks. The, the, the diversity element as from a generational perspective is as big as it's ever going to be, I mean, as big as it's been and going to continue to grow because the disconnect between these generations is absolutely huge. Um, you know, I want to make sure I got that in before we migrate to the next question, which, of course, I forget what it was now. Companies bear a responsibility for some of the education. I think, you know, every company I've ever worked for does offer education and does encourage it. I think, I, I think it's pretty hard not to point at the school system. I, I mean, it, it's the school system, but it's also kind of, I'm not sure you can point at any one thing. I think it's, it's a bunch of converging factors. It's, it's culture. It's well, and I don't know what it's like. We, a lot of our a lot of our client companies are technology based, and because we're here in Northern California, we've got some of the biggest names in internet technology, software development, hardcore data infrastructures, that sort of thing. And it's important to remember that the, when there's technology involved, the need for skill set enhancement is only increased because technology changes things so dramatically, so quickly. So part of, that, part of that responsibility does lie on the corporate entity, but I really think that each individual needs to take responsibility of their own development, whether they use internal resources within their company or external resources or friends or the Internet or libraries or whatever it is, extracurricular courses, to gain that intense knowledge is going to be critical. One interesting thing, another data point that's interesting, I'm throwing data at you, and I'm not a real big data guy, but of the 60% of the new jobs that are required out in the marketplace, interestingly enough, only 20% of the current workforce 
has those skill sets available. That to me is a scary thought. It tells me that our educational system is not meeting requirements from a business perspective, business training is not meeting its requirements, and the individual is not taking responsibility for their need to grow and enhance from a skill set perspective. So from that from, from that point, um, is it better for the U.S. overall that people consider themselves more of a personal brand than an employee? Because if someone is thinking of themselves as, a, as a, their own personal brand, they're going to invest the time to stay on top of skills and get certifications and training and so forth, whereas someone who is more employee-minded uh, may just sort of go along for the ride and take whatever the company uh, offers them. I think that's generational, again, and also just individual. I mean, some people think their personal brand is so perfect they don't need to work on it, and that's not good for a company. Right. The brand makes the personal brand, and the personal brand helps make the employee brand. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, and you need to consider both. I have a question. Oops, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I have a really good question, interesting question on this one, too. In regards to the company, is it also possible with this guarding war for talent that sometimes a company cannot differentiate between what is a want and what is a need? I mean, I've seen ridiculous requirements that I'm like, well, this isn't necessary, and this isn't necessary, this isn't necessary. Like, for example, they may require a bachelor's degree for a secretary, okay? And I'm like, well, isn't that possible why you guys are not getting a lot of good talent? Sure. I think some of it is probably too formulaic, yeah. Yeah, I think also, you know, we're constantly trying to consult our clients related to the talent management, talent planning, et cetera, et cetera, to delineate between what do you really want to accomplish and what do you think you want. Because if you can really migrate towards what they want to accomplish and what their objectives are, you can really put some action steps in place. If you're just trying to accomplish want, 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 then it becomes a little bit more of a, you know, whirlwind. I also think it's important, one of the things that I think is an interesting thing to look at, and this is all just, I've thought about this a lot, I don't have, I don't have data like Mark does, but, um, <laughs> but if you look at what's going on in, at kind of a macro level, mm. um, if you look at the generations, the whole influx of technology and the flow of information in our society has changed so dramatically in such a really, in the course of history, a short period of time. And I think part of what has happened is we've increased the flow of information people get and the data they can get their hands on, but it's almost like the human brain hasn't reached the capacity to respond to it quickly. And so I think another thing that has to happen is you, you need your professional experience, but I also think people need to look at bringing in younger people. Um, and I think this is missing. Um, I'm actually on a mentoring board for Stanford for graduates. A lot of them can't get jobs. And it's interesting, they don't have the experience, but what they do have is the ability to process information. As the younger generation, they've grown up with it. Mm -hmm. I think if, in some cases, the mix of the workforce needs to look at also in terms of demographics, because you might have people who are very good at knowing professional level, you know, skill-wise what to do, but they may not be able to process as rapidly as some of the younger generation who've grown up with all the data. I don't know if that makes sense, but I also think that's another kind of factor weighing in on it. Okay, well, so, Mark, so I guess. Something? Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so I guess uh, another point to that is that diversity becomes even more uh, of a strength for a company. Oh yeah, definitely. Not, not besides beyond the um, the racial background, but also the the age background because generational, I guess. Generational and also where they come from. I mean, um, you know, geographic, everything. I think and, everything. And the different types of contingent workers, virtual workers, 
you know, getting all those people with different types of workers because the definition of diversity has expanded so dramatically, getting all those different constituents in alignment towards company objectives becomes increasingly difficult to do. Yeah. Mark, now I wanted to go back to something that we were discussing earlier, too, regarding, you know, we're looking at the long-term unemployed here, okay? Epi.org had made a really great article back in September 1st. They had discussed that in August, 18.4 of the 7.1 million unemployed were jobless for at least a half a year. And that basically, that between when unemployment is for between 4.5 and 5.5%, the average long-term jobless share is about 11.7. But that this time, at that time frame, the actual long-term jobless rate had been 19.5. So what I'm going back to in regards to the requirements, I think this may be important because is it possible then, therefore, that companies are creating their own, uh, what should I say, uh, labor shortage because of these needs that they think that they have to have instead of looking at what's really out there? I think the talent, if you're asking me if, is how real is the talent shortage, mm-hmm. very. But I, I mean, you can't dispute the fact that, you know, I mean, 18.4% were jobless for at least half a year or more. And it's supposed to be, that should have been about 11%. So can we really dispute that? Sorry, but you, but I think also to, to Mark's point is that although there may be the 18% you're, you're um, mentioning, do their skills necessarily match the skills that are needed out there to offset the shortage? I, think. I guess what I'm saying is are the skills matching, but the requirements for the company is way over what is necessary. So is the relaxing of the standards one way to, to get around a lot of this uh, a lot of this shortage, Mark? Well, I think that there's an inherent problem right now is because of we still, believe it or not, are feeling the mental and emotional effects of the downturn from 2001 and 2000. Mm-hmm. Sure. But sure. had an indelible effect on all of us and how we hire people. So I think scrutiny is something that's going to be here for an indefinite period of time. The tired of time for just hiring bodies is, is, I think, still over. I remember it, and I remember vividly looking across from people that I loved during a difficult time and asking them to leave our company. I never want to go through that again. So, yeah, I think there is a dis- additional scrutiny, but I think coupled with that is there just is not enough of the right people coming through the pipeline, and we're graduating, still graduating loads of people from college, and what's not happening, though, is that if you go to the schools around the Bay Area or Northern California and talk to them, there's just not enough of the right kinds of technologists, accounting finance types, et cetera, et cetera, the right types of people that will fit into the mold of what's required in the organization. I think also simultaneously the willingness of mm-hmm. some of these college graduates to do mm-hmm. some of the stuff you have to do right when you get out of college is, is not the way it used to be. I remember when I graduated from, and of course I'm a selling old man now, when I graduated from University of San Francisco and took a job at Price Waterhouse and I was going to be a CPA, which I ultimately became, and, but you got to pay your dues. I spent the first three to six months sitting in front of a copy machine. In many cases, I think the expectation requirement for some of the generations is just different. And frankly, the baby boomers in the traditional set this up. Right. This fast food world, this fast food thinking, we set up this mentality where everybody gets things right away and people think they're coming out of school and they're going to run the company in a year. Well, and, and the boom set it up because I, I, um, I mean, I'm, I noticed 10 years ago managing people in high tech 
um, you know, Sybase and Oracle and companies like that, you would get 23-year-olds coming in the door who expected to be a director by the time they were 25 because that's what the boom did. And there was no way they deserved to be a director by 25. So, and and I, I agree with that. I talk to a lot of college grads because of this mentoring thing, and the first thing I say to all of them is, you know, don't be arrogant. Don't expect to make $60,000 out of college, and don't expect that you're going to come in and manage people. You're not. You're probably going to have to type in spreadsheets and, you know, do some copying and do some filing and pay your dues and learn the business. And I do think that's a big problem. I think a lot of college kids don't take jobs. Um, now, we're from California, so we probably have a slightly slanted view. You know, in the Midwest, mm-hmm. that may not be as true. Um, in, in more depressed states, that may not be as true. But but in California, I think you definitely see that. Question for Paige. Now, um, the challenge that hundreds of companies are finding uh, is how, where to find replacement workers with enough experience to do the job. And I know some companies are rehiring, are rehiring retired workers, uh, but that presents new challenges. Uh, what would you say are the challenges, risks, and reporting requirements for hiring retired workers? Um, I would say retired. I would also put the working moms in that category. Okay, okay. Big talent pool out there. Sure. Um, I think I think one of the biggest challenges is you have to be flexible um, because if you want some of the talent, you have to work within the parameters they want to work in. Which is they might want to work from home part time. They might want to work four days a week. They might want to shorten schedule. Um, I mean, I myself at this company when I came in, you know, I have two kids. I'm a single mom. I, part of my interview was I work at home in the afternoon so I can pick them up at school. I think companies have to look at that stuff. Um, and the reality is you're going to get much more work out of those people because they're going to so appreciate you working with what their life is. Mm-hmm. They feel a lot of loyalty. So I think that's one of the challenges. I think one of the other challenges is um, if someone really has been retired, which I frankly don't think is happening a lot. I think they don't ever get all the way out. But um, but if they have been, I think it's sometimes a little hard for them to get back into the pace. So you might have to be realistic about the rate at which you throw projects at them. What do you think about this, uh, Mark, that the 9-to-5 workday just sort of disappears, that there are a lot of positions that can be taken um, through telecommuting, not necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be in front of a manager per se. And there are people who may want to work 4 a.m. to to noon as opposed to 9-to-5, where people may want to come in you know, later on in the day. As long as the work is done, does it really matter that there is a set 9-to-5 structured day that every company has to apply, abide by? I think it depends on the role and it depends on the business that the company's in. Let me use an example. Um, part of our business is um, workforce management, our workforce logic group, which manages contingent workforces and manages compliance programs and associated payrolling. The type of work that's done there, for example, by the developers to develop the technology, I think you can definitely do a lot of the things that you're outlining. On the other hand, some of our staffing businesses we are basically a service-oriented business every minute of the day, and the people that are serving our clients have to really be there from 7.30 to 5.30. Yeah, they may do some work after hours, but the requirement of the job dictates that they need to be client available. Uh, doesn't mean to say some of that can't be done out of the home, but I think for the most part creating team environments and those types of delivery systems mm-hmm. is critical. So I think we're, we're – you know, it's kind of like the difference between a football team and a, and, a, and a golfer or a tennis player. If you're a tennis player or a golfer, you can go practice whenever you want in the morning, noon, or night. But if you're playing on a football team, you've got to get there at 9 a.m. for the practice and be ready to play for the football team at 1 o'clock. So I, I 
think it really determines, uh, it really depends, excuse me, uh, upon what, what, what you're trying to deliver. And I, I would add to that, and this may sound a little old-fashioned, but I think it's really important both when someone comes into a company and also for people starting in jobs out of school, I think it's important that people do show up 9 to 5 because it creates discipline and a sense of accountability and responsibility that this is a job, you know, this isn't an extension of your life that you show up for when you feel like it. This is something that you are committed to and you owe something to the company for your paycheck. I think there's a lot of people who think the company owes them their paycheck and they're lucky if they do a good job. That's part of the culture we've created. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, being forced to kind of show up for work for at least a while until you've proven yourself is, is I mean, I know that sounds old-fashioned, but I think it's important. You know, I think it's a very strong value to have, and, and, I, and I do understand what you're saying, and I have seen that echoed, your, your sentiment uh, echoed in some people that uh, I've been affiliated with in the past. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, another uh, concern employers uh, should be worried about, I think, is about the Senate bills I hear about a little bit regarding and related to uh, immigration and I-9 forms that I think they're currently under review. And from my understanding that, um, they include an increased employer responsibility for employment eligibility verification, and employers can no longer conclude that the risk of being audited is is minimal. Uh, what, were you, what have you guys heard about that? Um, all of that is true. We actually are coming out with a new product that's an automated I-9 verification product because of this. Sure. Um but the, reali the reality is this is coming. Um, what has happened to date is there were two bills um, going through Congress, one from the House, one from the Senate. Uh, neither of them passed both houses. And then the Democrats took over Congress. So this will probably slow down a little bit um, and won't happen as quickly as it would have happened if Congress had stayed Republican. Um, but it is still coming, and the reality is there is a lot more scrutiny on who's working where, and the fines are increasing. Um, it's also a revenue stream, so um, there, there, there is a lot more teeth coming in that area, and companies need to prepare for it. But they probably have a couple of years before it's going to become a crisis. Now, I want to ask, with regarding with what you're saying too, there's a lot of big booming in regards to the small business or the individual home business, and I guess a lot of like for example, the internal recruiters or contract recruiters who work for companies, and. I wonder, too, do you think there's going to be a lot more liability that's going to be coming on from the behaviors of what that person is working or doing who's representing that company? Say, for example, I represent ABC Corporation as a contract recruiter, but this company is not really watching me and watching how I'm being compliant with OFCCP or et cetera. Do you think, though, that People are going to start becoming more careful or cautious about the independent employer? Um, Mark, you can jump in, but I, I think what will happen is companies will have very well-worded documents with their contract recruiters that make it clear that they're not responsible for anything they do or say when they're not with the company, and then all the I-9 stuff will be done, and all anything that implies actual verification before hiring will be done by the company. Well, do you honest? Do you think though that just because you have a contract that states you will be off the hook, it really will let you off the hook? Uh, we're not. I wouldn't consider ourselves legal experts, so I'm not sure I'm an appropriate person to ask the question. But I think to me, the more important question, or as important question, is um, how is the how are the governmental entities going to be collecting their money? Right. And how That's are they? Right. How are they going to get their taxes? I mean, yeah, there's risk. There's going to be insurance issues. But to me, the, the more independent workers there are, the more difficulty there is in the, the, 
the, the uh, individual uh, tax ramifications being collected by, by the agencies. For example, one of the reasons why companies like W-2 employees is because we, I mean, excuse me, the governmental agencies like, like uh, W-2 employees is we base that basically act as a, as a collection agency for them. We are a custodian of their monies. When there's a lot of independent workers who are responsible for their own taxes, there's a lot of one-offs. So I think the scrutiny will really come from the governmental entities trying to get their money more than anything else. Well, and, and the other thing, and then this is part of what's affecting the I-9 speed is, basically, I think the IRS has said at this point, we can't do it yet. We, we, we don't have bandwidth right now. So there's also going to be that gating factor on how stringent, how fast all this can get really stringent because, there's a, you know. I've got another meeting I've got to go to. Okay. Sure. I'll leave you with this, and that is, is I think everything that you're touching on is extremely important, important from baby boomers retiring to the generational differences to talent shortages. But the one thing that I'd always want to leave with a client and or a company that we're, that, that we're prospecting is don't forget the people you already have. Um, yeah. Make sure that regardless of whether before they're retiring, that you're developing career development plans so that you understand what each individual wants so that you're retaining your employees. Because what employee A wants and what employee B wants may be um, completely different, and massive programs may or may not um, uh, hit the mark for, for the individual. So keep your great employees, retain them, and, and in order to retain and create redeployment programs within your companies or within whatever kind of community you're in to make sure they're getting stimulated about their work. Because if you don't lose them, you don't need to replace them as much. Paige Mazzoni and Mark Nelson, you said some really good information. Uh, if someone wants to follow up with you guys and get uh, additional information about you or about your company, how can they uh, reach out to you? Uh, I'm in California at 707-939-3281. You can direct all your calls to Paige. <laughs> 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 and can you plug your website or your email address as well? Sure. Um, our website is www.nelsonhr.com or www.workforcelogic.com. We want to make sure that all of our public relations activities are centralized, that we can handle them as effectively and as efficiently as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, uh, Paige Mazzoni, Mark Nelson, and Karen Madden, thank you guys for your time here in the Recruiter's Lounge. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for this show. You've been a wonderful audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or <laughs> just plain hate what you just heard, uh, let me know. Your feedback matters. You can reach me through my website at jimstroud.com slash podcast. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D dot com slash podcast. So until next time, I'm Jim Stroud, and you're not. Radio, radio, radio Innovative audio on demand. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold indifference, 
All that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.